on Mother's Day, we launched this series, and the idea has been from Hebrews chapter 11. It's the Hall of Faith series, the Hall of Fame, really. And in Hebrews 11, that whole chapter, uh, the author of Hebrews talks about uh, one giant of faith after the other. And we've pulled out of that chapter and throughout the Word of God different giants that you can follow. Hebrews 12.1 follows up from Hebrews 11. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every hindrance and every uh, and, and avoid every snare that would entangle us and let's run with perseverance the race set out for us and that's really what we're thinking through this cloud of witnesses that if you were on the track running and you were getting tired and you hear the roar and the uh, the, the sound of, of the uh, the audience it's just kind of a dull roar but there what if there were people that could come out uh, people that heroes in your life that could come and run with you well we believe the word of God is true it is powerful it's for today and those heroes step out and they speak to us through the word of God and so today we're, we're going to finish up this series. I started on Mother's Day uh, and a hero, a giant in my life, my mom was our guest speaker. Uh, the next Sunday we had a, a mentor in my life. Uh, Doc Lee was with us. I, I took the rest of those running with the giants uh, characters and today we are finishing up on Father's Day uh, with a hero and giant in my life, my dad. Now let me just say just a couple things b before we get started. Number one, my dad is a terrible gift giver. I'm just going to be honest with you. He knows it. We know it. We've tried to pray it out of him, but it just he's, he's not good with presents, okay? Uh, for example, um, on their first Christmas together, my mom got my dad like this incredible, beautiful uh, Bible that had, you know, with gold leaf, his, his name in it, and was just precious. And my mom got from dad a, a peanut butter maker. <laughs> That was like Christmas. And, you know, peanut butter makers like what you do when you pick up your prescription from Walgreens and you walk by the counter and it says, as seen on TV, and you go, huh, I thought I might check that out. Like, you know, that's just, that's, oh, I thought you might. We love peanut butter. We, we have a lot of peanut butter sandwiches. I don't know what was going through his mind, but I'm sure he had a good reason why. But it's not only that. Christmas one time, I, I got, I got a, a, a gift from my parents. It was, a, uh, it was a dark black silk shirt. It was really cool because back in the day, silk shirt was awesome. Like, you definitely as a eighth grader, you definitely want to go to school with a shirt that you can see your pit stains all day long. But, but anyway, uh, they got me this awesome black silk shirt because silk shirts were way in in the day. Well, after I wore it a couple of times, I, it must, I thought I didn't know why it was a little different. The buttons were on the, usually I'm used to the buttons being on this side and buttoned up this way, but the buttons were on the other side and it was really hard to get it buttoned up until one day I noticed it was hanging in my, in my closet and I looked at, and I hadn't even seen this before, but in the inside the tag said Donna Karen. They bought me a blouse for Christmas. <laughs> I was going to eighth grade in a blouse, everybody. Uh, you know, I'm sure my dad was behind that one. I'm telling you, my mom's pretty good at the presents, but my dad's not great at the, at, the, at, the, at the presents. He would go on missions trips and would come back with these little gifts from Colombia and Guatemala and you name it. And, and seriously, if I dressed today in the stuff he brought back, I would look like one of the village people singing YMCA. Uh, black leather ball cap and like a very colorful Guatemalan backpack and weird pants. Like it just, but he, but, but, but that's, let me tell you what he's horrible at presence but can I tell you what he's great at presence not 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 p-r-e-s-e-n-t-s -E -E but p-r-e-s-e-n-c-e -E -E. he's not very good at presence but man my dad through my life has been great at presence and being there and 
showing me how to love Jesus and how to love a spouse and how to treat, um, to treat people and how to love God and love people and how to preach. And uh, my mom's a preacher of the family. You'll find that out real fast. But, but my dad taught me how to, to preach too. And, and I just, uh, I'm so thankful today. I gave him a little card. It said, uh, what is a dad? Question mark. And on the inside, it said, you, you is a dad. And uh, that, that's exactly because when I look at my dad, I think of how I can follow him and follow uh, being a good dad, a good spouse, a good brother, a, a good uncle, a good grandpa uh, someday. And, and I'm so thankful, not for the presence, but for the presence that my dad has had in my life. Would you give a great Timber Creek welcome to my dad, Terry Yancey. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be here and uh, share Father's Day with uh, our son and his precious wife and two of the most intelligent, glorious grandchildren in the world. Um, in your Bibles, I hope you'll turn and follow along or read it on the screen. In just a moment, we will be considering two great giants in the Old Testament and have New Testament application, but um, uh, that'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. But before we go there, I just, I just want you to know that um, uh, your pastor uh, did not go into the pastoral ministry because it's the family business. Um, nothing wrong with family businesses, but Preaching the word, being pastors, spiritual leaders, ministry leadership is not a family business. And uh, we always prayed for Jesus to just be the center of all three of our children. We have uh, Pastor Jeremy's our oldest son, then we have his younger brother Jared. They're three years and uh, seven months apart. And then from Jared to our Lacey, three years and six months apart. It looked planned, but planning had nothing to do with any of it. And uh, so um, we never called our children to the ministry. We said, just serve Jesus. Nothing else matters except serving Jesus. If you're going to be a backhoe operator, then be the guy that can dig the best ditch for the whole company. If you're going to be a doctor, uh, be the best doctor you can be. Just serve Jesus. But uh, today, like every Sunday for the last several years, uh, all three of our children are leading a church somewhere, uh, two in Kansas, Pastor Jeremy here, and um, not because we call them, but because Jesus called them to ministry leadership. And let me just say, if you're here sensing that uh, maybe God has spoken to you or to your children to uh, be in ministry leadership someday, uh, you don't have to fan the flame and, you know, th this is my little preacher or that's my little preacher girl, but encourage them to follow the dreams that God has in his heart for their lives. We knew though that early on for sure that uh, Pastor Jeremy was going to be in the ministry because uh, our first pastorate, our first pastorate was in Monette, Missouri. And um, wasn't the end of the world, but you could see it from there. Real small town. And my wife grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. She had like 700 and something in her graduating high school class. Uh, I was in the, the top uh, 10 of my graduating class because there were 22 of us in mine. It was, it was city meets country. And so uh, we had gotten everything unpacked and, and we were sitting on the front porch in that small little town in the front porch of our parsonage. And she sat down by me. It was about six o'clock in the evening and we were just sitting there and she reached over and grabbed my arm and said, do you hear that? I said, hear what? She said, that's what I mean. 
there's nothing happening here. It was a tiny little town. It was a small little church. And so because it was a small little church, um, not only was, was I the pastor and my wife the youth pastor, but uh, we were also the janitors at the church. And, and so one Saturday, I think it was, we were cleaning and Jeremy was there with us. And I think Jared was, uh, he was just a little guy. So I think he was sleeping in one of those carriers of some kind. And, but, but we were cleaning in the back and we thought we heard something in the front in the auditorium. And so we moved toward one of the side doors so we could get a look. And when we peeked through the side door, there stood Jeremy. He was about this tall, literally about this tall. And he had a microphone in his left hand. And he had his finger up in the air like this. And in his little voice, he said, my daddy loves Jesus. My mama loves Jesus. My baby brother loves Jesus. But we hate the devil. <laughs> so, uh, so he's been preaching a long time. It's a joy to uh, stand here and tell you that Karen and I, our favorite verse in the Bible after the fact that God loves people is 3 John verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than knowing my children walk in truth. And if you're one of those parents that your kids are like ours and they're all serving the Lord, what a wonderful blessing. But if you're one of those parents and your children are running from God right now, just listen, be encouraged. On this Father's Day 2017, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is pursuing them. And he loves them more than you will ever love them. And he wants them saved even more than you do. So be encouraged today that Jesus loves you and he loves your family. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 2 is the story we're going to work from. If you don't mind standing with me, we're going to read these verses together. I'll read them out loud. And it's the story of two great giants in the Old Testament, but there's a New Testament application. And you, you do understand that we are all still living in the New Testament era. Era, right? So we, we live in a New Testament era. Jesus has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're going to allow the Spirit of Jesus to speak to us today. Starting with verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 2. Then Elijah said to him, to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and they stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan River. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Well, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Before we read on uh, in this next verse, uh, it is true, mathematically speaking, that Elisha, the younger, 
His ministry in the Bible records twice the number of miracles for Elisha as Elijah performed, and that's mathematically true. But in this passage, Elisha was not asking for mathematically twice the amount of the Spirit work in his life. He was asking what Deuteronomy, the old law, talks about of the firstborn, if a dad has multiple wives and the first child born, whichever wife, it doesn't matter, or one wife, the firstborn receives a double portion of the inheritance so that the firstborn can take care of their family's business and become the leader of the rest of the family. So while God did use Elisha in twice the number of miracles, what Elisha was asking was, I want a place at the head of the table because I think I can lead into the next level of what God has for the kingdom. So we pick up with verse 10. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan River. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Old Testament story with application for this day in 2017. Application for every life, every man, every woman, every student, every child that's in this room. This story applies to us. And Lord, I thank you that by your spirit, you will teach us and empower us to make a difference and leave a legacy that is positive and that matters for eternity. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Since she was a toddler, just a tiny little girl, Sonora had seen it happen to other children in the area of Washington where she lived. She saw that when a mother passed away and left the dad with the children, the typical dad would give the children to an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or just a stranger, and the dad would pretty much disappear out of their lives. Sonora was 16 by the time that her mother, when giving birth to the sixth child of the union, when she was giving birth, her Sonora's mama passed away. And Sonora knew that the normal dad would not long care for the children. But her dad surprised her. And that man took all the responsibility 
and for the next decades finished rearing the rest of those siblings of Sonora. She was so impressed by and appreciative of her father that she decided that she would do for fathers like Ann Jarvis had done for Mother's Day. She was in a service, a Christian service, and the pastor had preached about mothers, and Sonora thought, if there's a Mother's Day, there ought to be a Father's Day. And so she began to work, and in the state of Washington, actually facilitated where in uh, the third Sunday of June, that year, 1910, they proclaimed Father's Day as a holiday in the state of Washington. Now, you're going to sleep better knowing this. It wasn't until 1972, 62 years later, that President, then President Richard Nixon signed Proclamation uh, 4127, which made a federal holiday out of the third Sunday in June in the United States, and that's when Father's Day became a national holiday. See, aren't you going to rest better knowing that? That's just, that's just important information. So I am glad that Sonora wanted to do something to elevate and express appreciation to fathers. But this message today, while it of course is to fathers, but it's to all of us in this room. Every one of us have the capacity to express father-like expressions or father-like help to other people. My dad, he was a wonderful godly guy. He, he was not so holy that he levitated at night when he was asleep, but he was a wonderful guy. He didn't speak harshly to my brothers and me. He was, he was even keeled. I mean, he was like any other guy from time to time. He'd get upset when we did shenanigans. And I remember a few times he would say to me, well, son, you're greenhorn. And, you know, but it wasn't out of anger or meanness. It was, it, anyway, so, so dad was a really, really good guy. The antithesis of harsh and mean and abusive, that's our heavenly father. My dad was like my heavenly father. He was not harsh, not mean, not abusive, but a faithful, kind character. And that's why I think Elisha would call Elijah my father, my father, is because he had that kind of deeper relationship. The 50 sons of the prophets that you read with me about, they talked about Elijah as Master, They said to Elisha in the earlier verses, they said, hey, do you, do you know that uh, your master will be taken from you today? And Elisha would say, I know, I know, but don't speak about it. It happened three different times. Here in Jericho, they said the same thing. Do you know your master will be taken from you? I know it, don't speak about it. But when his master was taken, Elisha did not respond saying, my master, my master. He didn't say, my boss, my boss, the old man, the old man. He said, my father, my father. Why? Because there had been a relationship of supportiveness and love and encouragement. So we're focusing today on two men that there's no biblical record of them ever having biological children. But both stand out as giants in the area of fatherhood and fathering moments. Notice with me 
these two giants produced this healthy legacy because in their fathering moments, they lived conscious of time and how to invest their time. Have any of you in the last seven days made the remark something along the lines of, how has so much time slipped by? Has anybody said that? I mean, it's like, it's June, but it feels like I turned around twice and it, we were celebrating Christmas. How many of you get tired of that? It's like, whoa, slow down, slow down. It seems like just yesterday that I was standing in a delivery room. My wife just finished pushing out of her body a eight pound, eight ounce little baby boy. And they had placed him in what I think it was like a warming tray. And I was a 19 year old kid. And I'm standing there looking at this little squirming bit of humanity. And the nurse's name was Gloria. I don't remember the rest of the nurses that helped in the second and third child. I just remember on that fateful day when I became a dad, Gloria had stuck with Karen all the way through the delivery. And now I'm standing here staring at this little wiggling human being. And Gloria steps up beside me and takes me by the wrist. And she moves my hand toward his little tummy. And she says, it's okay. You can touch him. <laughs> and she put my hand on Jeremy's little tummy. And when she did, the tears just started flowing. It was because I felt this overwhelming sense of joy. And I felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Not just to, to make sure he was fed and clothed and that his mother was protected and, and all of that. That was part of it. But it was this, this stunning awareness that I was now responsible at 19 years of age. That I was responsible to make sure that this little human being had every opportunity to encounter the presence of Jesus Christ. And that, in, that sense of overwhelming responsibility never left me when three and a half years later Jared was born and three and a half years later Lacey was born and many years later when our seven grandkids were all coming along. This sense of overwhelming joy and overwhelming responsibility. So it's been 30 something years and, and I look at this man sitting on the front row that's leading you as a congregation. And, and I, I think, Karen, what happened to the time? I look at our grandchildren and I say at times to her, she says to me, like, Sage is supposed to be our Lacey, but our Lacey turned 30 on December the 12th. How, how does that, you know, it, 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 you know what I'm talking, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right, it just... Did it feel like it took you forever to get through high school? You know, it was like it just crawls by. I mean, my senior year was the best seven years of my life, but, you know, it, it just, seriously, I, May 13th marked my 40th anniversary of graduating from high school. It's like, what? How did that happen? You see, if we want to leave a legacy like Elijah and Elisha, these two giants in our series today, we must be conscious about time and how to invest it. This isn't a new idea. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place is remembered no more. It happens so fast. People invest their lives in stuff and then they're gone. How many of you know who Charles Culbertson was? 
Any hands? Anybody? Charles Culberson, don't Google it. In 1917, he was Texas, one of the two Texas U.S. Senators. He was a mover and a shaker. He was quite the politician. He had served two terms as the governor of the great state of Texas before he became a U.S. Senator. But he's gone now. He is dead and gone. And everything he invested himself in is probably pretty much irrelevant today. All of the political movers and shakers of 1917 are like grass and they are gone. Does anyone know who the most valuable player was in the World Series in 1977? Does anybody know without Googling it? Nolan Ryan, that's a great guess. It's not right, but it's a great guess. <laughs> Nolan Ryan does hold the uh, record in his 40s for throwing the fastest fastball ever clocked uh, in, in baseball. Nolan Ryan, but it wasn't Nolan Ryan. In 1977, it was a man named Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's 70 stinking one years old now. In the first service, I asked if anybody knew, and my wife said, O.J. Simpson? <laughs> Wrong game. Wrong game. How fast it goes. And listen, in 1977, I was in my prime. 1977, I was no taller than I am now. I weighed a whole lot less, but I'm no taller than I was then. And, and in 1977, I could stand flat-footed under a 10-foot goal and without a trampoline to help me, no gimmicks, I could stand flat-footed and jump and touch the rim. Oh, come on, you can say at least, ooh, something. <laughs> and listen, the older I get, the better I was. Kind of like that great theologian Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. I could throw that football across that mountain. You know, the, the older I get, the better I was. Here's the deal. Everything I invested in, <laughs> I was taking piano lessons between my 11th and 12th grade year. And basketball season was about to start. And my mom said, you've got a choice. You can only do one of the two. Play basketball or learn to play the piano. I made the dumbest choice. If I had learned how to play, I could still be playing piano today. But instead, I went for basketball. And you know, the, the, the scouts never did ask me <laughs> if I wanted to play on a college team. I mean, I, what happened? You see, the time has flown by. My glory has faded. And here's the truth. If your glory has faded, it isn't glory anymore. It's just old tired memories that your grandkids will smile when they hear it and think, he said that 74 times. <laughs> so if my sports prowess, if our political prowess, if our job titles really don't live on very long after us, what does live on? I'll tell you, what lives on in me is the investment that some men made that shaped my life. My dad, I've mentioned him already, but my dad, Billy Joe Yancey, who lives in heaven the last 16 years now, but dad modeled fasting, he modeled prayer, he modeled what it was to pay tithe, to honor the Lord. He, he showed us how, what church commitment looked like, and he showed us how to love one woman for your whole life. I thank God for my daddy investing those kind of examples to me. My role, Ranger Commander, uh, Bill Sartain, 
he taught me some really important things. He, he taught us in Royal Ranger. How many of you have ever been a Royal Ranger? Alert, clean, honest, courageous, loyal, courteous, obedient, and spiritual. You see, a Royal Ranger is ready, ready for anything, ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship, live, etc. I was a Royal Ranger, and I was ready. And Bill Sartain taught us all kinds of good things. One thing he taught us was a game called, Are You There, Charlie? Are You There, Charlie? And it worked this way. One guy laid down with his head this way. The other guy laid down with his head this way. And they locked arms and they were blindfolded. And each one had a rolled up newspaper. It only goes downhill from here. <laughs> and the one would say to the other as their arms are locked, Are you there, Charlie? And then he would be quiet. And when the other would swing the paper, the other guy would roll and try to dodge. Go not this way. Therein lieth destruction. So my brother Donnie Joe and his buddy Billy were playing Are You There, Charlie? And when they had finished bludgeoning one another, they stood up and Donnie still had the blindfold on. And being a loving little brother like I was, I took my thumb and poked him really hard in the ribs and ducked. And Donnie swung that big old newspaper and slammed his hand through a glass window. And he had 37 stitches as a, as a result of it. Bill Sartain taught me that. <laughs> but what Bill Sartain taught me that I remember even more importantly was one, one Tuesday night at a Royal Ranger meeting, he had a big old oak board laying out and he had hammers and nails and he called for volunteers and, and I wanted to be a volunteer. I wanted to be picked. You know, I was that kid, oh, 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 you know, that guy. And so he picked me and I got up there with a few other little boys and he said, all right, boys, nail that nail in as far as you can. And man, I'm peck, peck, I sound like a woodpecker, just peck, 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 trying to get that nail in. And after we all labored for a little bit and we had gotten them in a couple of inches or so, big old 16 penny nails. Well, then he had to stop and he started talking to us and he taught us this lesson that even now these 50 years later, I can still hear, hear Bill Sartain saying, these nails getting nailed into this oak board, these nails are like sin. It goes in easier than it comes out. And had we little boys come up with the claw hammers, the claw side, and now pull that, pull that nail out. And man, we worked and worked and we, we couldn't get it out. And he said, guys, that's like sin. You can't get that out of your life very easily, but Jesus can. He said, you got to have help from somebody that can take care of it. And then Bill took that claw hammer and went pop, pop, pop. And he just popped those nails out like they were nothing. And he said, that's what Jesus can do with your sin. And only Jesus can do. I'm so thankful for men who understood that if they invested in the moments of life that they have, men and women who if they invested wisely with the moments they had, that it could make an eternal difference in somebody's life. It made a difference in me. So I would suggest that we all need to up our game and use our fleeting moments as wisely as possible because I don't care how young your children are right now, dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, it will be feeling, you'll be feeling like I am. You turned around twice and all of a sudden they're ready to walk down the aisle and get married or all of a sudden they're pastoring a great church in Texas 10 hours away from where you live. And what matters then is what you invest in the fleeting moments now. These guys were giants and they produced a healthy legacy because in their fathering moments, number two, they lived knowing where they were going. Do you know where you're going today? Do you know what 
the decisions you're making will produce in the long run. You see, Elijah says, the Bible says they were in Gilgal, and he says, uh, uh, Elisha, stay here, because from Gilgal I'm going to Bethel. You, you, you just stay here. And he says, as your soul lives, I am not letting you out of my sight. And he followed him from Gilgal to Bethel. He said the same thing. Bethel, they went to Jericho. He said the same thing. I'm not leaving you. And then at Bethel, he says, stay here. I'm going to the river, Jordan. I am directed of the Lord. I need to go there. And the young man says, I will not let you out. Out of my sight. You see, Elijah and Elisha knew where they were going. Well, where will your current decisions lead you? If you want to go to Mexico today, I suggest you do not drive north. North is a good direction. It just won't get you to Mexico. You say, oh, of course it will. The earth is round. I can drive up over the, Antarct or the Arctic and come back down around. No, you can't. You can't. You won't do that. North won't get you south. If you're wanting to get to Mexico, you want to go from here. You want to go. So, well, I guess if you go straight south from here, you'll be in the water. So you'll be in trouble either way. Your decisions, my decisions make a difference. Karen and I decided early on, Jeremy was, he, could, he wasn't even one years old, one year old yet. And we were in a service and we heard this missionary talking about submitting to the will of Jesus. And that day, Karen and I decided that if the will of Jesus is headed this direction and our life is headed this direction, that we're coming here. No question, no uh, arguments. If this is where Jesus is going, this is where we plan to go. Elisha had that attitude toward Elijah. If you're going to Bethel, I'm going to Bethel. If you're going to, to the Jordan River, I'm going to the Jordan River. If you're crossing it, I'm crossing it. If Jesus is moving this direction, we're going to move this direction. We have found that following Jesus, choosing that path is already always the right decision. In all of our ministry, until I became superintendent, everything we chose to do, every time we moved from one ministry position to the other, we always took a cut in pay. It's like, what are you, what, what is that? We left Bible college and I became the youth pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they did the best they could, but we were paid so little that there were times that in order to have enough money to buy some groceries or another pack of diapers or whatever, I would go to the local blood bank and sell my blood plasma. I'd get 10 bucks a pop, and back then $10 bought more than it buys today. I would, I would do that. And so we weren't making much money, but I wanted to be the lead pastor somewhere. I wanted to be the guy that casts the vision and preaches all the time. And so, so we were asked to come to Monette, Missouri, and we started preaching there. And when we left Lincoln to go to Monette, we took a cut in pay. But it was the Lord's will. And then after almost four years of being in Monette, the Lord asked us to go to Paola, Kansas. And when we left, things had come up nicely there at Monette. And so when we moved, we took a cut and pay again. And then we served for six years as pastor and the Lord opened the door and I was elected to serve as the district's youth and Christian education director. And we moved to Wichita and we moved from a nice larger house to a small little parsonage and I took a cut and pay again. What is this? Here's what it is. When I know Jesus is moving this direction, I 
and my wife are going to move that direction. And if you want to have life that makes a legacy, you and I must choose. You say, but I've got to feed my family. I know, and we did. Look at your pastor. He grew up healthy. (laughs) That came out wrong, son. It it, it wasn't... (laughs) He's over there praying, help him, Jesus. (laughs) I am saying to us, don't make decisions on economics. Make decisions based on what does Jesus want to do through me and through my family, through the people I love. If you will put Jesus first, if you will go a path where Jesus is walking, you will Always have what you need. Please, please don't ever leave this church, Timber Creek Church. Don't leave just because you can get a better paying job. The Lord might want you to do that. But if it means that you'll go to a place that there's not a good, powerful, spirit-filled, anointed church that is saying this is a place anybody can come and meet Jesus. If you don't have a church that's life-giving, please turn down the job. Stay here. Let your kids grow up, your grandkids grow up in the presence of God. It's imperative that we follow the path that Jesus has for us. Don't let money, don't let comfort, don't let titles carry you forward. Oh, there's so much more I'd like to say. I'll I'll simply move from this point with this. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher that uh, uh, his sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. We read that in our literature class when I was a, a freshman in, uh, in Bible college. And we read it out loud. And by the time we finished that hour of just reading out loud something in an American literature class, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, there were multiples of us crying before God saying we want to live to honor you. We don't want to be in a place that's outside of your will. Jonathan Edwards preached that message and really it led to a great awakening in the what is, was then the American colonies. Because of the choices that he made, someone did a study about his legacy, his uh, offspring, his family tree descending from him. And from Jonathan Edwards came one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Because he chose a life that honored the Lord. He chose a path that honored the Lord. Now, in the same era, someone named Max Jukes was uh, traced. And his lineage sounded instead like this. Of his descendants, it included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers, 400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living. He chose to not follow the path of Jesus, and it cost his family dearly. Here's the good news. Whatever has been in your past, whatever choices you have made, if you will turn to Jesus, if you will submit your life to Jesus, he has the capacity to cancel out the nonsense and the sin. I'm telling you from something I've experienced, Jesus can turn things around for you. 
You and I need to follow that path and leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. So where will your current priorities take you? I recently set a recurring reminder on my, on my daily calendar. And that recurring reminder that pops up every morning at 7 o'clock says, bring your best self to today. Bring your best self to today. I want to bring my best self to my marriage to Karen. Today marks 38 years, 6 months, and 15 days since she signed her life away to a life sentence. <laughs> she married me 38 years, 6 months, and 15 days ago today. And I want to bring my best self to this marriage. I am a guy. I need to wake up every morning and just look at her and say, I'm sorry, I'm a guy. How many guys feel my pain? <laughs> How many wives feel my pain? Okay. Um, but the point is I want to bring my best self to my marriage. I, I want to bring my best self to being a dad to the adult children and their incredible spouses that each of them married. I want to bring my best self to being a superintendent in Kansas. I want to bring my best self of being a, a son, of being a brother to my one remaining brother. I want to bring my best self. And that comes when I choose to put Jesus first and allow his path to guide my path. All right, can you take just a little longer? All right, almost done. These two giants produced a healthy legacy because in their fathering moments, they gave their best. They gave their best. Elijah says, so what do you want? Elisha, what, what do you want from me? And he said, I want a double portion, the leadership portion uh, from you. I, I want this. So what do you want? When you and I stand in front of the king, what do you want him to say, well done, about? What do you and I want? You see, 50 other men stood at a distance and they knew what Elisha knew. They said, hey, do you know that your master will be taken from you today? And he said, I know that. Don't talk about it. Another group said the same thing, and at Jericho, 50 men knew what Elisha knew. But they didn't do what Elisha did. Therefore, they didn't get the results in life that Elisha gained. You see, God wants us to ask for hard things. But not just ask for hard things. He wants us to then follow through with behaviors that will produce the things we want to produce. So he did the hard thing. He stayed by Elijah. What hard thing do you and I need to do? Here's what it is. It's very simple. Read God's Word with a hungry heart. When you get online at uh, TimberCreekChurch.com and you do that reveal survey, one of the things you're going to find out is kind of where, where you need to grow, where you need to develop as a follower of Jesus. One of the best hard things you and I can do is to read the Word of God and allow it to speak to us. Another, keep your family in church. Keep, if, if they're grown up and you can't make them go to church anymore, some, some of you had a drug problem and that's how you got to church. You had a drug problem. Your mom drug you to church. 
you may, may not be able to drag your kids to church anymore, but I know, I know this, as much as is in you, keep your family in church. Prioritize what Jesus has in the body of Christ that you're a part of today. Keep your family in church. Invest your time and finances into eternal priorities. Listen, there's nothing wrong with knowing who all the quarterbacks are for the NFL, but don't know that better than you know who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. Make sure that you know who Jesus is and what he's saying, and, and if it's you know about Elijah and Elisha, and you know about the donkey that actually talked, and you, and you know about Noah and the ark, and you know why God did what God did, so that as you know what he did through reading the Word and staying in church, that it can affect the way you and I live, so that our legacy will matter. And a hundred years from now, maybe the people from the platform will call your name in a congregation like this will say, who? But there will be generations of people who say, I know who. That was my great, great, great grandpappy. And he loved Jesus. He came from a line of alcoholics and abusers. But he turned to Jesus turned away from alcohol and he turned away from abuse and he started showing the family how to serve God and he, they hung out at that place Timber Creek Church and, and they heard the word of the Lord and they prayed and were filled with the spirit and they invested in things that mattered and all kinds of lives were changed and I'm sure you say that's ridiculous no it isn't that's what God wants for your legacy but you got to do some we got to do some hard things daily show our kids and grandkids the character of the Lord. So TCC people, we've got to live giving our best to make sure Fran has an opportunity to know Jesus. Who's Fran? Simply an acronym, F-R-A-N, friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. If you don't do the hard thing of inviting your friend your associate at work, your neighbor, your relative. Hey, come with me to church. Come with me to church. They're a caring bunch of people. It's a safe place. Nobody will do anything weird to you. Come, come, come to church. Just feel what you feel. Come on. If you don't do that, that's a hard thing, but if you don't do it, their destiny is not the bright destiny you want. But if you do, if you do the hard things, if you'll give your best, Absolutely, the Lord will give his best to those you love. Let's stand together. I will confess to you that I am more than a little bit prone to excuses. I've always wanted to be a procrastinator. I just never got around to it. I have, I have this uncanny anointing to turn anything that's my fault into somebody else's. It's just an uncanny gift. My wife will not have the opportunity to testify, but she could tell you that that's the truth. I'm prone to excuses, but I choose today to keep striving for my best self. 
to bring my best self to the game of life, to this marriage, to fatherhood, to ministry leadership. And if you are not following Jesus, if, if you held back and didn't pray that prayer with the rest of us early in the service that Pastor Jeremy led us in, if you have not turned your life over to Jesus, listen, bringing your best self will not happen just because you get a doctoral degree. It won't happen just because you marry the prettiest girl in high school. It won't happen just because you make more money than everybody else. Your best self has nothing to do with that and everything to do with you yielding, me yielding our lives to his lordship. So if you've not done that yet, I beg you, please don't leave today without turning your life over to Jesus and letting him give you a fresh start. He's really, really good at do-overs. Let's pray. Master, thank you for these men and women. They've been so patient to listen. Lord, thank you for all of the preachers that brought this series to us of running with the giants. Lord, I thank you that you have uh, called us to be giants ourselves. And Lord, we, in our own strength, we can't be that. But, but by your grace, by your anointing, we can choose to live lives that make it easy for others to come to you. So, Lord, for every man and woman in this place, every student, every child that is without a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day, this Father's Day in 2017, that today will be the day that they say yes to you leading them forward until death comes or until you catch us away in the rapture. Bless them. Bless them indeed. May they know and walk in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Would you thank my dad for the word today?